Illinois cornerback Devin Witherspoon has that dog in him, but is that enough to make him a target for the Atlanta Falcons in the top 10 of the 2023 NFL Draft? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and the most humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank everyone that makes this illustrious podcast their first listen each and every day. Make sure you subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episode as soon as it's available. So guys, today is a mock draft Monday where we look at a prospect that could potentially be on the Falcons radar in round one. In today's episode, we'll be centering all about Devin Witherspoon, the Illinois corner, why he could be on the Falcons radar, why I am not as high on Devin Witherspoon as uh, maybe other people are to sort of look at him as a Falcons prospect and whether or not the Falcons are just in general going to be averse to the idea of taking a corner uh, that high. So up front, I will sit here and tell you guys up front that I don't think Devin Witherspoon is going to be on the Falcons shortlist for uh, corners, uh, you know, or players, draft picks at the top of round one. I could be definitely wrong about this. And we'll talk about some of the reasons why uh, I, you know, I'm skeptical of Witherspoon being on their radar, but, Let's talk about the reasons why he would be on the radar, and it really centers on that dog mentality, as they say. And usually when people say, you know, this guy's got that dog in him, I usually hate that statement. And a lot of that stems from 2020 offseason when a lot of people were of the mindset of like, oh, we're replacing Vic Beasley, who lacked the dog, with players that do have that dog and Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson. And it didn't quite work out. And to me, you know, saying a player has that dog in him is a nothing statement. It's like, you know, especially with those pass rushers, like, like, can they rush the quarterback or not? I don't care about what dog they have. Do they have the technical know-how to be able to get pressure on the quarterback? And the answer for all three of those guys, regardless of what dog they had in them, uh, was not really. Uh, although I will say, you know, the reason why Dante Fowler is making $3 million this year and Vic Beasley's playing the XFL probably has something to do with that dog mentality. But, um, you know, I think that statement does fit with Devin Witherspoon quite a bit, right? He plays a relentless style of football. Uh, think of him like a pit bull, you know, an unleashed pit bull, just kind of roaming around the football field, you know, whether it's playing against the run, he's, he's constantly looking to get involved in run support or, you know, in pass plays where even if it's not, the ball isn't going to his man, like he's, he's looking, he's tracking the ball in the air to be like, can I, can I pick this pass off? And like, you can just see that mental process, with him he plays with a disregard for his body that most cornerbacks don't play with because most cornerbacks know like if i'm going to lower my shoulder and try to hit this 215 pound running back like that may affect my ability to cover on the very next snap and so they're making business decisions devon witherspoon it ain't about that business boss right like he, his business is like i'm, I'm gonna hit people and i'm gonna talk trash and i'm gonna play with a certain swagger 
uh, and it just jumps out on the film. And so he is a very fun watch. And it's a reason why he is a lot of people's number one corner in this draft class. And it's not just simply, hey, he, he brings a certain mentality uh, on the football field. You know, the, the film also backs up a very good player. Right. And especially if you look at like his, some of the PFF metrics and grades uh, that came out this past year, it strongly hints that he's a very good player and one of the best in, in, in college football, where he was the highest graded cornerback uh, in terms of coverage grade, according to PFF this past year, uh, their charting only allowed 35% completion rate, a 25 passer rating, uh, zero touchdowns and 62 targets, had three interceptions, 14 pass breakups this past year. Illinois also plays the highest percentage of man coverage, according to PFF, in, in the nation this past year, with about 76% of their snaps being man coverage. And for those that don't know, a high degree of man coverage in the NFL is about 50, maybe 55% of your snaps, but normally in the NFL, you're playing like 30, 35% man coverage, uh, typically in the NFL. So that is an extraordinary amount by NFL standards. And yet he graded extremely high in man coverage, according to PFF with a 90 coverage grade in man coverage. That was like the fourth best of any corner in the country. This past year only gave up 28% completion rate in man coverage, a 21.5 passer rating in man coverage. And it's not as if he's an elite man cover corner and can't handle himself in zone. He had a 90 coverage grade in zone, a 47 passer rating allowed there as well. So, Really, when you look at the kind of the selling point of Devin Witherspoon and why the Falcons would be attracted to him is that swagger, that energy that he's going to bring on defense in addition to being a man cover corner that we're expecting to see the Falcons dial up their man coverage uh, with Ryan Nielsen taking over as defensive coordinator, given that the Saints were one of the teams that were on the high end of man coverage over the last several years uh, while he was the defensive line coach there. And of course, Dennis Allen was calling the defense there. Uh, and so I think really really the selling point for Devin Witherspoon here in Atlanta is, you know, going to the, the makeup of the football player, right? He has that makeup that I'm sure the Atlanta Falcons will absolutely fall in love with. And it's hard for any person who loves the game of football to not fall in love with Devin Witherspoon's makeup uh, in terms of his love for the game of football. He, like he exudes a very passionate and love for this football game. And I know for a lot of Falcon fans, that's music to their ears because I know a lot of Falcon fans. I've talked to several of them over the last several months that rather than Jesse Bates being the guy that they were hoping the Falcons would sign to upgrade that safety position, they were looking at a guy like CJ Gardner Johnson, who ultimately signed with the, the, the lions, but everybody who knows anything about CJ GJ is uh, you know, he's, he's a little different, right? Uh, he, he's borderline psychopath, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I think, you know, I don't know if Devin Witherspoon is quite the same in terms of his psychopathic tendencies. All right. You know, he hasn't getting multiple receivers swinging on him over the course of his NFL career like CJGJ has. But he, he has some similar psychopathic tendency just from the style of play, from a personality standpoint. He seems like a, a regular dude. Uh, you know, I don't know what the same can be said about CJGJ. But um, yeah, like if, if that type of player is what you think this Falcons defense was missing. And again, talking to Falcon fans over the last several months in the lead up to free agency, several people voiced to me like, we need that type of a, a mentality and, and, and swagger on defense. Then Devin Witherspoon is definitely going to be right 
up your alley. So he's going to definitely be a potentially fun addition to the Falcons defense, a very promising number two corner across from AJ Terrell and a player that many people have often compared Devin Witherspoon to is Jair Alexander, who of course the Falcons new assistant head coach, Jerry Gray uh, helped coach uh, in addition to Joe Witt jr. Uh, former Falcons secondary coach uh, in Green Bay and developed there in Green Bay. So there's certainly an understandable appeal for this type of player uh, if Devin Witherspoon looks a lot like Jair Alexander. So he's a fun watch. Uh, you know, I'd probably say he's my favorite corner in this draft class, but I don't know if that necessarily translates to him being the best corner in the draft class. And we'll talk about why that is because he's not typically the type of corner that typically goes as high as where the Falcons will be selecting with the eighth overall selection in the draft. And, you know, I also think watching the film, I don't know if he has quite the skill set that I think is going to make him an outlier in that regard that you're going to be willing to bet on him despite this concern about him not being being an atypical top 10 pick. And we'll break all of that down as we continue and talk about why I'm not convinced that Witherspoon is going to be particularly high on the Falcons radar at the top of the draft as we continue today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by the Ultimate Football GM, and you've heard me talk about this fun new mobile game. And, you know, as you guys, you know, free agency kind of is winding down and we're gearing up towards the draft, but free agency never has to wind down for you. Uh, If you play the ultimate football GM, because you can control every strategic aspect of your football team from hiring coaches, coordinators, free agency, the draft, going through all the ups and downs of the season. It's a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate football GM is completely free. It's playable offline, so you can play it on the go as you go whenever you want. That is something that is a strength of it, because I can put it down for a couple of days and and pick it right back up and, and, and fall right back into it. I know I got a quarterback change on my Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I think we're now in the 2030s at this point in the game. So in the distant future, making some moves. But if you want to make similar moves, make sure you download the game by going to ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores. And when you do, make sure you use the promo code Locked On in all caps. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N in all caps. And you'll get a 100% free boost to your franchise in the game store. So make sure you check it out at ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM, start your dynasty today. So let's talk about some of the downsides of Devin Witherspoon and a couple of disclaimers, I should say. Um, you know, historically speaking, cornerback is a position I have the least amount of confidence in my evaluations. I don't think I'm bad at evaluating, but I've had some notable misses. Uh, I was too low on Desmond Trufant. I was too high on Jalen Collins and Isaiah Oliver. Uh, you know, that same draft class, I had Mike Hughes as my top corner over guys like Jair Alexander and Denzel Ward. And, you know, meanwhile, five years later, Denzel Ward and Jair Alexander are the two highest paid corners in the NFL. And Mike Hughes is joining the Atlanta Falcons, his fourth NFL team in six years. Um, I've been a little bit better as of late because, you know, I feel like I was in the ballpark on AJ Terrell and whatnot. But basically, if this if all about the, the next 10 minutes of this podcast ages very poorly uh, in a couple of years, you know, we'll we'll understand it's like, okay, Aaron's still working through some issues when it comes to cornerback evaluations. And the other disclaimer I'll say is we're going to talk about what is kind of typical of a top 10 corner. And I'm making an assumption that the Falcons will be drafting like a typical 
NFL team. And that is not necessarily a good assumption, but it's an assumption I'm going to make uh, for the rest of today's episode. And it, this is important because uh, Devin Witherspoon has a pro day later this week. I believe it's on Wednesday. And, you know, I'm expecting him to test reasonably well, but I'm not expecting him to test great. So this may also age pretty poorly in a couple of days so we'll we'll potentially revisit this topic later in the week once we get some of those testing numbers from him at his personal uh pro day um but i i think going back to something we've discussed a number of times on this podcast you know witherspoon is not your typical top 10 corner and i think that's the biggest obstacle for the falcons to take him at eight right i've gone back and looked at you know combine data since 2010 over all the first round corners and your typical top 10 corner on average is about six foot and a half 199 pounds with 32 and a quarter inch arms and runs a 44140 time and you look at witherspoon who hasn't yet to want run his 40 uh due to hamstring issues that limited him at the combine and at his uh, pro day uh, earlier uh, that, which is why he'll have his own specific one later this week. Uh, but he measured five eleven and a, and a half, and a half, 181 pounds with 31 and a quarter inch arms. Now, the thing that I've talked about previously on the podcast and go back to the mock draft Monday that we did, I don't know, like four weeks ago with uh, Christian Gonzalez, the Oregon corner, we talked about sort of cornerback is a height weight, speed position when it comes to how high guys get drafted, right? That's what the strongest correlation to where you get drafted is based off of how tall you are and your weight adjusted 40 times. So it's basically height, weight, speed is going to lead to you guys, uh, the corners getting drafted higher. And with Witherspoon being 181 pounds, there's only been one corner since 2010 that was drafted in the first round that was sub 185 pounds and that was Denzel Ward who was a top five pick back in 2018 and Ward was obviously a very good college corner at Ohio State had a 511 183 pound frame 31 and a quarter inch arms which was 42nd percentile same arm length as AJ Terrell was a little bit bigger but Ward ran a 43240 which is 96 percentile among cornerbacks according to mockdraftable.com his broad jump of 136 inches was 98th percentile so Ward was kind of this special athlete despite the fact that he didn't look the part uh, necessarily of your typical top 10 corner in terms of height and weight and whatnot but he certainly had the speed when it came to that and then you look at a player like Jair Alexander who Weatherspoon is often compared to and Alexander was 5'10 and 196 uh, at, at that year's combine and that that 15 pounds of muscle that Alexander is working with that uh, Witherspoon is not necessarily working with, I think is notable, right? That, you know, 196 pounds versus a 181. Alexander also uh, tested well, a 43840, 89th percentile, 127 inch broad jump with his 80th percentile in his agility drills with a 671 second three cone and a 398 short shuttle. Both of those were 88th percentile according to mockdraftable.com. And so, I kind of want to see Weatherspoon kind of if he's going to test, you know, somewhere in the 75th percentile or above in order to merit him being a potential outlier in terms of being a high end athlete. And so some of those numbers that we may be looking for on his pro day 
that would be 75th percentile or higher would be a 44240 or faster, a 6813 cone or faster, a 407 short shuttle or faster, and a 126 inch broad jump or a 106 broad jump. So those are kind of 75th percentile across the board for um, a cornerback. And I think you kind of want to see if, if Witherson's going to be this sort of Denzel Ward esque outlier, you kind of need him to test at that level. Frankly, you know, you could argue he needs to be tested even much better than 75th percentile in that regard. But, you know, I'm not expecting him to test like a, a, an elite athlete in the 90th percentile. Maybe he can get to the 60s and 70th percentile. That's kind of what he looks like to me on film, right? Because I've watched some more film of Witherspoon recently. Um, and one of the issues I had with him watching the film was he tended to get out of phase at times. And out of phase, for those of you not familiar with that term, I'm basically using that is basically when a receiver gets a step on you, right? Where you're out of phase for the, the cornerback in that regard. And one of the things I've tried to learn from my failed evaluations of past corners is trying to look and see if there's panic in a guy. Like to me, you, you want to see a guy that has that Jim Moore used to call it the athletic arrogance that like basically like when he gets out of phase, there's no panic in him because he knows like, OK, I might be a step behind or a half step behind this guy, but I'm an athlete. I can keep pace with this guy. I'll be able to make up the ground. And I didn't necessarily see that with Witherspoon. It was too often sort of at the top of routes where receivers were able to get separation. Things tended to get a little bit more frenetic watching him on film, where it just felt like he was a little bit out of phase, a little bit more panicky in his movements that didn't suggest to me that he was a high-end athlete that, that we're talking about that he needs to be in order to solidify himself as a top 10 pick. Like one game that stood out to me was Dontavian Wicks, the Virginia wide receiver, seemed to, to get the better of him a, a number of times. Now, it didn't result in a, a ton of production. Some of that is owed to... um you know, the quarterback not being able to get the the ball to the receiver due to pressure and other factors and whatnot. But it did seem like watching the film that, you know, these lesser receivers and Wicks is probably going to be a day three receiver, probably a fourth round pick uh, based off of you know, some of the projections I've seen. You know, and like if you're I'm not saying I'm not going to say he struggled against them, but like it, it'd be different if it was Christian Gonzalez versus Drake London, who was a top 10 pick. Right. Um, and like if if. We, you know, one of the knocks on Gonzalez was like, you know, Drake London gave him some problems. That's fine because Drake London's Drake London, but like it, we're talking about a fourth round receiver that's giving you problems. Like, I'm like, hmm. And it wasn't just the Virginia game, it was a couple of other games where I'm like, some of these receivers that are not going to be high end receivers are giving him a lot more fits than I think a potential top 10 corner should be getting. And one of the things that's notable about Witherspoon is he never played the Ohio State receivers. We know Ohio State has cranked out NFL talent after NFL talent the last couple of years. And he never faced Ohio State because of COVID. Uh, the last time Illinois played Ohio State was like 2017. And so I wonder if, if Witherspoon is as an elite a man coverage guy as at least his PFF grades seem to suggest. And I wonder once we get a jumping competition from him, you know, with some of the receivers that he's going to face in the NFL is he going to struggle a little bit more there than he did in college? Right. And it's not to say that I don't think, I think he'll be a bad NFL corner or he can't match up in man coverage. I just don't know if he's going to be as good enough to be the sort of number one wide receiver eraser that you're assuming he's going to be if you take a corner in the top 10. And that's kind of what it boils down to where, whether it's fair or unfair, if you're taking a corner in the top 10, 
the expectations are really high for that guy. That's a guy that you expect to be Jalen Ramsey. You expect that guy to be Patrick Peterson or Joe Hayden or Patrick Sertan or Stefan Gilmore or Denzel Ward. Those, those are the expectations. These are going to be high-end top, you know, five top ten types of corners. And when I watch Witherspoon on film, I see a good corner. I see a legitimate mid-first-round talent, right, a top 20 pick or something like that. But I don't see a guy that I feel like, yep, put him on Stefan Diggs. He's going to lock him up. Put him on Michael Thomas. He's going to lock that guy up. Put him on DeAndre Hopkins or, you know, Justin Jefferson, and he's locking that guy down, right? And again, that's a tall order for any cornerback in the NFL, but I think it would be an especially tall order for a guy like Devin Witherspoon. And so this is why teams tend to target height, weight, speed earlier in the draft because they're like, we're looking for those types of guys that have the athletic profile to be able to go toe-to-toe with the elite receivers in the NFL. And I don't know if that's Witherspoon, but I, I do like him as a player. As I said, I do think he's a legit mid first round talent. Um, I do think he'll be an effective man coverage corner in the NFL. I, but I also think he'll be a really high level zone coverage guy, uh, especially given his mentality that he's just going to be roaming around the football field, looking for people to hit and, and make plays on the ball. And I recently saw Jordan Reed of ESPN in his seven round mock draft mock Devin Witherspoon, number 14 overall to the Patriots. And like, to me, I was like, Oh, that's, that's a perfect fit for him. That's, that's the ideal scenario for him. And so if he is going to wind up proving me wrong and turn into a superstar of a player, um, like him going to new England to me makes a ton of sense. I'm like, okay, that's the one place where he will actually live up to the billing of, of where he's being drafted, uh, as that guy. So, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. You know, to me, it makes a little bit more sense if the Falcons were to trade back to pick up, Devin Witherspoon a little bit later in the draft, but if they're going to stick at eight, I'd be very skeptical that Witherspoon is going to be their guy. Frankly, I'd be pretty skeptical that any cornerback will be their guy at eight, uh, given some factors and variables. And we'll break down exactly what those factors and variables are as we continue today's Locked On Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about the Locked On Braves podcast. Of course, baseball is back. And so make sure you check out uh, your favorite uh, illustrious baseball podcast on your uh, most illustrious baseball team uh, by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So wrapping up today's episode, let's talk a little bit why I'm probably a little more skeptical than others are that the Falcons are going to use that number one pick at the eighth overall selection on the corner. And you know, to me, it makes sense why people expect the Falcons to make a corner. And I'm, I'm not going to say they won't do it. I think the board has to fall a certain way uh, for it to happen. But I think the reason why it makes sense for the Falcons to take a corner back at eight is a reason that I've heard a lot of Falcon fans kind of not necessarily say it exactly like this. But the general idea is, you know, what's better than having one A.J. Terrell? Why not having two? And I think that makes perfect sense from a logical standpoint, but I think part of the issue that's holding me back on that is while having two high level man cover corners, if you want to call AJ Terrell that and whoever you envision to be that other guy, whether that's Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon or Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois or somebody else, Joey Porter Jr. at Penn state uh, consistently the top three cornerbacks on sort of in consensus rankings. Um, you know, I, I think the thing that holds you back is from having those two high level guys is injuries. And, 
you go back to this was I know Dean Pease talked about this back in 2021 in one of his press conferences, which is that if one of those if if your if your scheme your defensive scheme is predicated on having two high level man coverage corners, and one of those guys gets hurt, whether it's for a season or a couple of games, you have to change completely how you play defense. Um, and this is something that the Falcons experienced back in 2021 when AJ Terrell missed some time at, at various points in that season due to concussion. They changed how they play defense. They went from one zone coverage to another zone coverage based off of their backups, right? Uh, you saw this in 2018 and 2019 with the Falcons under Dan Quinn, where they were a team that you know featured a lot of man coverage in those years. But with Robert Alford missing time in, in 18 and Trufant missing time in 19, they had to kind of dial back their man coverage whenever those guys were out of the lineup. Uh, because their backups are not as capable of playing at a high-level man coverage corner. And another factor that sort of is rattling around in my brain that I think may influence the Falcons' decision to take a cornerback high in this draft is something that Josh Kendall of The Athletics said on this podcast when he was on here at the beginning of free agency a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Chris Lindstrom getting his extension. And I asked Josh about, you know, is A.J. Terrell next? Uh, in terms of the next uh, internal guy to get that big money. And Josh was kind of like pumping the brakes on that. Like, we're not not there yet, right? And and based off of that, you know, if the Falcons are not necessarily all in on on A.J. Terrell being here long-term, it would make sense for the Falcons to want to target a cornerback uh, at the top of this year's draft to get their guy that will be here long-term. And certainly, uh, to me, when we talk about a cornerback, that looks the part of, of a typical top 10 corner, someone like Christian Gonzalez out of Oregon, you know, could be that guy that could live up to the expectations that you're hoping for, for a top 10 corner. But, you know, in the day, week since, you know, Terry Fontenot has gone on record saying that we love AJ and whatnot. You know, you can't read too much into anything Terry Fontenot says uh, about who the Falcons love and, <laughs> and what their plans are. But, you know, and, uh, we got a caveat that it wasn't as if Josh was saying, Hey, they're not going to pay AJ Terrell. It's just saying that they weren't there yet at that, at that point in that process. And, you know, if you assume that, you know, they aren't there yet and they're never going to get there, or they're at least skeptical internally, the team is skeptical that they will get there with AJ Terrell. That would certainly push them in the direction of getting a corner at eight, but if they aren't there, but they feel confident that they will get there, you know, within the next 12 months in terms of paying AJ Terrell a, a big chunk of money, then I think it actually pushes them in the opposite direction and pushes them away from taking a corner at eight. Because, you know, typically teams don't pay two corners. If you know you're going to give out a monster contract to one cornerback in the next calendar year, you know, you don't necessarily feel as compelled to you know, use premium resources. And I know it's a rookie contract, so it's not as if you're going out there and and dropping $20 million on a free agent or anything like that. So that does need to be factored in. Um, But, you know, you are potentially putting yourself in a position that three years down the road, you have to pay that other guy that you just drafted, in this case, Gonzalez or or Witherspoon as well. And I don't know if the Falcons necessarily want to jump headlong into that. Now, you know, drafting players based off of, you know, whether or not you're going to pay them second contracts probably is a little overrated at, at a certain point, but it is a factor in the decision-making. And it just goes back to a point I made earlier. Like typically you don't see teams, you know, using premium resources on two corners, right? The Ravens and dolphins are two teams that have, you know, the last couple of years paid a lot of money 
to have two high-level corners. And again, going back to the earlier point about injuries being a factor, both of those teams have suffered that where their defense has suffered because, you know, Byron Jones missed all of this past year with the Dolphins and Marcus Peters missed all of the previous year with the Ravens. And it, you know, it led to people getting fired. Defensive coordinators got fired over that, right? Literally, Wink Martindale got fired in Baltimore and Josh Byers, I believe, was the Dolphins DC that got fired this past year because all of a sudden they were put all their chips onto playing a certain style of defense and someone got hurt and they couldn't play that style of defense and they weren't able to adjust. And I think there are lessons there, right? And then you also kind of look around the league. There isn't the only team that has two first round picks starting for them uh, at corner that they drafted, right? Um, you know, there are multiple teams that have former first round picks that they didn't necessarily draft, but two guys they draft was Green Bay, right? With, with Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. And, you know, Green Bay's secondary wasn't great last year. I know most of that is seemingly more on the safety play than necessarily the cornerback play. But it is, to me, again, I, I think it's notable that, you know, having two A.J. Terrells in, in, in what we're talking about may not be as beneficial as I think we would automatically assume it would be. Again, that logic of two, what's better than one A.J. Terrell, two A.J. Terrells. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't invest resources the cornerback if you have an AJ Terrell type of player if you have a Jair Alexander like that's a mistake to use a, a first round pick or to pay money for your number two corner but it does make me think that teams generally speaking and again this goes back to the assumption I'm making about the Falcons being a typical NFL team when it comes to this and maybe they are not that, that type of team and operate that way but typically teams are looking for value here. And when we use that term value, we're, we're talking about getting good players on, say, day two of the draft. And so for me, at least, when I look at Witherspoon, I look at a player that I kind of consider to be a, a little bit of a reach at eight. Again, if the Falcons were to move back five spots and take Witherspoon, you know, ahead of the Patriots or somebody like that, like then we wouldn't be talking about him being a reach and, you know, to a lot of folks and myself included, sometimes we probably overblow what's the difference between eight and, and 14 or whatever in the draft. Is it really that much of a difference if the player turns out to be good? And the answer is no, it doesn't really matter where you drafted a player if the player is good. But there are bets that team, you know, drafting is basically you're making bets. And there are bets that teams are much more willing to make at eight versus bets at 14 and 24 and 42, et cetera. So, I, I do wonder about the Falcons taking a player like Devin Witherspoon at eight. And I think you can probably get a lesser version of him and probably not a massive drop off based off of where that player is going to get drafted, which is Cam Smith, the South Carolina corner, similar kind of competitive guy uh, that, you know, that plays with a, a certain level of competitiveness and, and swagger that is, is not common. Uh, you know, it's, I won't say it's like, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon but like they, they stand out to me when when i watch the film like okay they play with a certain competitiveness that is not common in this draft class and so if you can get cam smith who's let's say is 90 to 95 percent of what devin witherspoon is on day two that's what we're talking about where you can find value at that position where it's like oh we can get basically the same player 
for much cheaper um, and, and use that first round pick at another position of need, such as a pass rusher. Uh, and so that's that's part of what I'm kind of wondering, you know, what attracts you to Devin Witherspoon at eight probably also attracts you to Cam Smith at potentially 44. Now, whether Cam Smith is going to be there, who knows at this point in time? But I think the Falcons will have options beyond round one to upgrade their cornerback position, not to mention, you know, the presence of Casey Hayward on the team. And we we know or we suspect that the Falcons don't like using first round picks on players that are not going to play. Right. That, I, I think that was a factor in why they did not take a corner in 2021, um, even if they had liked the guy. Um, and they're much more willing to take a quote unquote red shirt guy on day two, as we've seen with guys like Richie Grant and Troy Anderson and Arnold Abiquetti. And again, they weren't red shirting, but it was like we're not rushing them out on the field. The first round picks, you know, based off of two years of precedent, those guys going to play right away. And you wonder with Casey Hayward on the roster, would a first round corner play? Now, people have said to me, like, well, couldn't you move Casey Hayward to the slot? where he once upon a time played, it's been eight years since Casey Hayward played the slot. So I don't know if that's a good strategy. It's also possible that you could take a corner and cut Casey Hayward after the draft. They cut Mike Davis last year after they drafted Tyler Algier. So it's not unheard of for the Falcons to basically say like, okay, we got our corner at eight, presumably Christian Gonzalez more so than Devin Witherspoon. And let's move on from Casey Hayward. That is also a possibility, but it seems like to me, if the draft goes the way that I think the Falcons want, they would much rather use a pass rusher at eight and then take that corner a little bit later in the draft and stash that guy to basically be the red shirt behind Casey Hayward uh, a, a little bit later in the draft. So, and, and for those of you that may have not been listening to the last couple of episodes here on the podcast, for me, at least in terms of what I think the Falcons are likely to do. And again, this is, you know, beginning of April, and this is all subject to change by the end of April when the draft actually happens. But I think the three most likely bets for the Falcons in, in this order, in terms of if they're on the board, I think the Falcons would most likely go would be one Jalen Carter, out of Georgia, uh, although Josh Kendall says no. So we'll, we'll see. Um, then two would be Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Three, I do think Christian Gonzalez, if he's there at, for Oregon, would make sense for the Falcons, given that, that he is a legit top 10 uh, talent when it comes to the cornerback position. And then after that point, if those guys are all gone, I think Miles Murphy, the Clemson pass rusher, becomes a fourth on that list. Bijan Robinson, the running back from Texas, becomes fifth on that list. Uh, and, you know, Devin Witherspoon, along with several other players, would be, you know, somewhere between six and 10 on on that list of, of potential options for the Falcons at eight. Uh, I'm also assuming that Will Anderson will not be there at Alabama. So he might be number one on that list if if that's a possibility. But I, I'm ruling that out as a possibility at this point in time. But, um, you know, one potential option for the Falcons that I did not mention is Nolan Smith, the Georgia pass rusher. And he'll probably be the person that we talk about on next week's mock draft Monday is just an excuse for me to talk about the potential Falcons option. So he's on deck for us next week. Um, so we'll see what happens with Witherspoon later this week at his private workout. And basically we, do we have to, you know, say, Hey, you know, it was prophetic here <laughs> on the pod because he didn't test quite as well to, to merit a, a top 10 selection or will I have to basically just throw out this entire episode. So, uh, wouldn't be the first time <laughs> I've, had, I've had episodes where like, yeah, 
ignore that entire thing. So we'll we'll see what happens on Wednesday, uh, and probably report back to you on, on Thursday or Friday on on that subject. But um, that's going to do it for us here, guys. On on today's episode, uh, again, I, I think cornerback is a certainly a possibility. But if all things being equal, I think the Falcons, in my opinion would prefer a pass rusher there and wait on a corner till later in the draft. And we'll see if that prediction winds up being true and we'll see what's next for us here on locked on Falcons. We're going to have a lot of guests in the coming days and weeks uh, to come on and share their insights into this draft class in terms of, as well as what the Falcons should be looking for or could be looking for in this draft. So make sure you continue to make locked on Falcons your first listen. And for your second listen, of course, got to check out the locked on NFL scouting podcast with the draft dudes where Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino are breaking down everything it takes to build a successful NFL franchise every single day. Subscribe to Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.